Now, Dave. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo Show brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today, I am so happy to talk to Alain Silberstein. I'm sure you guys are familiar with his designs. He's been making extraordinary watch faces and dials and crazy hands and crazy colors since the mid-1980s. Recently, he's done amazing collaborations with MB&F, with Rescence. Uh, we talk about all these things. We talk about the uselessness of complications. We talk about the intimacy of time. It's a very interesting philosophical conversation. So let's get into it. No problem. That's perfect. Where, where are you living, Ella? I'm living in a little uh, town in the countryside, about now drive from the Swiss border. The former watchmaking capital of France, called Besançon. That sounds very beautiful. But uh, in fact, I, I'm from Paris, and by chance, uh, I came uh, to work in Besançon. And uh, nothing related to uh, watchmaking. I came uh, to work on the watch in uh, architecture, interior design, interior fitting company. And by chance, I started to design watches, and uh, I fall in a pit. So. <laughs> <laughs> how does uh, I mean? It's how how does one um, how does one go by chance from architecture to watches? Everybody asks me the same question. <laughs> I know it's it's the because it's a it's a it's um it's a, it's not such a challenge. I, I used to say I just moved from millimeter to tenth of millimeter. <laughs> It is more a question of, uh, I would say, scale. But as far as uh, the, my work uh, is concerned, there's not such big difference because to be an architect is to be a sort of, uh, uh, it's called in French, maître d'oeuvre, to master work. It's uh, the ability to dialogue with uh, specialist experts in, I don't know, uh, Carpenter, uh, plumbery, painting, and it is exactly the same because when you are doing uh, a blueprint of a housing or a shop, uh, it's only drawing blueprints, uh, dreams sometimes. And if you want to transform your dream into reality, uh, this is a question for ability to dialogue with uh, experts. So don't ask me to nail <laughs> anything in my hometown because in my home because my wife will uh, laugh at me. But I could explain to you how to do it. <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. I can't do anything, but, I, but but I'm very good at telling other people what the thing is that I want to have done. Well, let yeah, me let, let me let me ask you this, Anna. Well, first of all, I should yeah. say thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me. I, I'm, a, I'm a, obviously obviously I'm a huge fan <laughs> <laughs> of your work. It's, fun. Um, it's a true masterpiece for me. Uh, it's a nice journey. It, well, inter I'm interested because you um, you created your own language. Um, do you think if when when you were an architect, did you have your own architectural language, or did you really but create your own language in watches only. No, no, it started from uh, my uh, art school uh, in Paris. I was taught uh, the prep school where I went to uh, to prepare the exam to enter on the interior design uh, uh, national school. 
uh, I was told through the same teaching as the Bauhaus School of Design. Right. And this school, uh, which is uh, which does exist actually, uh, met the Penningen in Saint Germain des Prés in Paris. They they are teaching the fundamentals for uh, fundamentals from colors, geometrical construction, architecture. Let's say the basic of all uh, creativity field related to, from fashion design to uh, watch design. So, yes, uh, uh, if by chance you visited my home, or uh, you have many things from uh, Charles Hims to Alva Alto, from uh, uh, good guys, uh, <laughs> mostly from, I would say, modernism. Yes, but I but I know. Look, I know that you've been asked this so many times about you know Kandinsky and the Memphis School and the Bauhaus and all this stuff. And I, and, I, and, I, and I and I know and clearly those are your you know you can see those influences. You can see that you sort of absorbed those things and and you kind of excu- excreted out a Silberstein language that was all your own. But but for me, I'm interested in. What is it about those things? What why why did they speak to you? Why did those design schools? Why do those artists speak to you? As an artist, I can tell you that, for instance, I admire Picasso, obviously, for his skill, but also I admire him for the way in which he he was so fearless in leaving things behind, right? He would do something for cubism or whatever it was. He would do that and then he would abandon it and do this other thing. And he was so fearless in doing that. Or I like Maurizio Catalan because he's this, <laughs> he's this incredible, like, conceptual, I don't know, anarchist. And so what is it about, like, why did the Memphis School, why did Kandinsky, why did Bauhaus, what, 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 what is it in that... Fact, <laughs> in fact, through interviews, I was obliged to name a few. And so you always <laughs> just chose those? <laughs> well, no, well, it's uh, sometimes difficult to explain why, let's say, one major designer influenced me. Dieter Hams. Ah, yeah. Uh, why? Because Mr. Hams, uh, a part of his Ten Commandments of the Good Design, I was always uh, amazed about this creation uh, of brown products. And uh, it's not, let's say, colors, shape, Moves me. Don't ask me why. <laughs> so, uh, if I have to give you another key <laughs> to understand what I'm doing, <laughs> each time I'm designing a watch, whatever product I could do, even uh, entire fitting, it's a sort of a quest for harmony. Harmony, you never know. You see, the, the most difficult thing for a painter or sculpture is to know when his work is finished. I know. When do you stop? The over-creation over is the worst. It's, yeah, you, it's ne- you never... Danger. You, you don't want to overcook your design. Exactly. We could speak about cooking, yes. But this is true. And this elusive quest for the perfect harmony. You see, I will give you an example. When you are assisting to uh, um, symphonic orchestra rehearsals, the, the very first rehearsals. 
it's it's catastrophic. The, for, for rehears uh, the rehearsals. Rehearsals. Yes. yes. Sorry for my accent. No, 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 of course not. No, but the, 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 and at a certain moment, after two, three days of rehearsals, the harmony is there. And you're listening to music. So this is a, a, a quest for harmony. What What is harmony in good design? As far as my feeling is concerned, is which are the good colors, finishing, because color without finishing, that doesn't mean nothing. Materials, balance of um, design. It's, you know, at a certain moment, I think it's okay. Yeah, let's just go back to the Dieter Rams, because it's interesting, because Dieter Rams and Braun, um, he was a master of restraint and you are the master of not restraint but the thing that the, <laughs> but the connection that you two have is as you say everything in a brawn product that he designed was there was always an extraordinary balance there was just enough but not too much and that's the same in what you do like you have these explosions like these things that you designed they 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 are both uh, Restrained but explosive simultaneously. Uh, this, I would say, this is maybe <laughs> the big difference with the German school of design, <laughs> which is my a little too serious, I would say. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I, I'm French, and I, I do love sometimes to have this little tongue in cheek, this twist of humor, of uh, explosion of colors, but always there's the intention. Yeah. I, I just give you an example. The watch you are wearing, uh, designed by uh, Benoit Bitiens from Resence, for years, I was eager to design a watch uh, with this movement. Why? Because this is a perfect symbol, is symbol of the passing of time with a rotating uh, dial. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, after this, but you see, to to think about how to render uh, 18th or 17th century painting to a contemporary watch was not a challenge. It was my uh, vision. But it, sometimes, you see, a, a watch has to tell a story. It's, just to give you an example, it's impossible for me to, to create a watch without naming it before. <laughs> oh, so, it's like, so you're, it's almost like, that's interesting, Alain. It's like you're, you're writing each watch. Do you think each watch is a, is a sort of a short story? Yes. My, uh, my dream would be to ask all my watches to send me a little a short uh, video movie because they are witnessing the time of so many people from the past uh, <laughs> 25 years. That's amazing. And and uh, when I'm designing a watch, I am on my mind, but I won't tell you what kind of film. I'm doing some film. You see some uh, uh, short uh, story uh, novels to just to where my watch is uh, a part of a witness of something. Um, Mostly romance because I'm French. So <laughs> one of my uh, uh, first 
book because at that time people asked me to make uh, some uh, statements when I studied on the 80s and instead to make a catalog I decided to uh, to write a book and I chose uh, I chose um, a painting with a white lady uh, hiding her arm behind her so I, al- I always uh, thinking what kind of watch she's wearing <laughs> Sorry, hang on. I should say I, I, we should interrupt and just ex- before we, we we just jump jump right into a fascinating yeah, intellectual discussion. But no, no, no. I just want people to understand who you are briefly. But and, and it's I know it. But Anna, you've been making watches since the mid eighties, um, and and it's fair to say that you you were a person, as I said briefly mentioned earlier, you. Um, you took a very, uh, I've always felt that as an artist, it's much harder. It's a much harder and longer road to, to create your own language than to use someone else's words. And you are an artist who created their own language. And, and, it's, and it's been a long, I mean, you've been at it for 30 years, more or less, right? With this language that you've created. Am, am I right? Yes, I started on, uh, in the mid-80s. But I would say that the, this, uh, uh, yes, let's speak about, let's talk about this language. It takes time to, to, to have his own vision. Uh, I don't like the term style because sometimes uh, some people may ask me to make this Zilberstein-like watch. And I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. <laughs> 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 they think it's easy. You just have to put some uh, blue and yellow colors and, and that's it. But uh, I'll give you two examples of, uh, of my creation. One is the one you are wearing, Ressence, which is uh, uh, a true Silverstein style. And another one I did years ago for Romain Jérôme, the subcraft, where there is no, it was a fluid design. It was my challenge not to use geometrical shape, uh, straight lines, only uh, curved lines. It was a nightmare for me, but... Uh, in fact, <laughs> I took inspiration about uh, fish. But this subcraft or the recent uh, watch you're wearing, uh, it's also my ability as an artist to explore. You were mentioning uh, Picasso and your right to explore new territories of creation. And as far as watchmaking concerns, uh, new movements, new techniques, uh, I will always remember when uh, I was commissioned to create an art collection for China in 2000, um, and I had to uh, discover the art of uh, enameling, thanks to Mr. Michel Vermeau, who taught me everything. So what I, I would say that the reason why I decided to, to jump and to close my architecture studio and opening my own watch factory when I was 40 years old, I discovered that in watchmaking fields, there were, there are so, there were at that time now so many things to discover, to experiment, and also to dialogue with people for so many different, I would say, uh, uh, culture and civilization. Uh, I am. Uh, I was educated in scouting. I'm still uh, volunteering in scouting and uh, scouting. Did, scouting uh, as in as in Boy Scouts. 
Yeah, Boy Scouts. Yeah. Yes, uh, the, the real one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when I was younger, I discovered, still um, now helping a young volunteer in scouting, the in a very cool world, fraternity and empathy with others. And this is something which I was eager to find in my profession and have while uh, uh, doing uh, interior architecture in France. And still, uh, watchmaking is uh, uh, open to the world. Uh, uh, so watchmaking is... Uh, it's so interesting that... that so you find that watchmaking... Um, it's, it opens windows and doors to vistas, to landscapes that you might never have considered, to people that you might never meet. Is that what you're saying? That it, it's kind of this. That's, I mean, that's a beautiful and lovely thing to say, and and it's and it's and it's very romantic. I mean, you know what? What one of the things I wanted to say about the language you've designed that's so, particularly for watches, that's so different. As you said, is it's very tongue in cheek. There's beauty, there's surprise, there's romance. It's also quite eccentric. And I, 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 I think my mother, my, my mother was French, so I grew up in London and Casablanca and spent a lot of time in Paris. And so I got to, I, I have a very, and I lived in Paris for a while and I have a very soft spot for France. But one of the things I think that people don't know about the French is I think they're quite eccentric. Like you look at, for instance, Citroën as a brand and it's the most gloriously eccentric brand. Thank you for <laughs> quoting the French as eccentric because sometimes it's all, only a stick, a, a label for English people. <laughs> That's are, right. That's so true. It's so true. We are completely eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, sometimes we don't, we don't share this eccentricity with others. Right. Since the, the, the English uh, <laughs> do very well. Well, but, they, they, uh, you're right. The English have kind of tried to seize on as a monopoly, but French. They but, to, yes, French, they know how to export their eccentricity. But French, <laughs> accent, but French eccentricity manifests itself, I think, in a much more interesting way. English eccentricity is kind of about humor and, and sort of personal, but I find that French eccentricity manifests itself on an industrial scale, as in like, you know, cars <laughs> or your watches or things that, they, you, that you make as a culture, which is interesting. I feel with you because you could uh, name another field of creation, which is haute couture, yeah. high fashion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I was always amazed to see how many uh, talented uh, uh, fashion designers from all over the world used to be uh, uh, working uh, in uh, uh, French or American uh, companies. And, and no... Uh, designers were commissioned to work in uh, watchmaking. <laughs> and the big difference for me is that now it's over since uh, 2000, uh, year 2000 now, <clears throat> we have our place. But even now, uh, <clears throat> uh, some people, they don't understand. You see, look about the market as it is now. There is so much lack of creation. Everybody is going back to the past, a revival uh, from the fifties, from the sixties. But I find that very sad. I find that very sad because I, I because it, 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 my analogy. I think my analogy for that is that I think that you know, in the same way that movie studios make these superhero franchise movies, 
<clears throat> they'll wow. do, but they do that because there is a guaranteed success rate. There is a user base who will all pay money to go and see those films. And I think that that's what watch companies feel about old designs is that there's a guaranteed base of people who will always like those vintage designs. So it's a safe choice for them to make from a marketing standpoint, economic standpoint. But from an imagination standpoint, it's incredibly boring for me, at least. Let's say when you are looking about the watch uh, created uh, on the 70s, uh, early 70s, there was an explosion of uh, uh, style, design, materials, and uh, everything uh, disappeared with the quartz revolution uh, on the, the early 80s. But since actually, just to come back to the the richness of watchmaking uh, and the ability to meet and dialogue with people. Uh, when at my company, uh, my people were always afraid when I was uh, going to a goodwill tour, <laughs> when I'll be back because they knew I would change something about my final design, I would <laughs> say. Bracket. Why? Because I think Good design, it's the ability to dialogue not only with specialists in watchmaking, with also would-be customers, fans, and collectors. And now I would name them my community <laughs> to be uh, more fashionable. And these people did my success. I will always remember the first year when I exhibited in, at the Basel Fair. The lonely place. What, 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 this was uh, 1987. 87. Can I just talk about, can I just interrupt for a second, just talk about something you said, which is very, yes. unusual, which is very unusual for artists <laughs> to say. And I've had a similar experience because when I talk to fellow artists, I, I, when I'm working on an idea, I always talk to everyone about it because I always feel like sometimes people will say stuff like even like, a guy in the lift, in the elevator, you're talking to him, he'll just say something. Random people will say something, and that might make the idea better. And I feel like you're this kind of person. You're a person who's so open to the possibility that anyone can say some, something that will improve your idea. This is definitely the best way to, uh, I don't know if it's the right one, to enrich my creation. There is no... Uh, I had this image of the lonely creator right. or designer right. uh, on the drawing table. That doesn't exist. Sure. I tell you, I prefer to to go for a two months goodwill to all over Asia to introduce my drawings. And when I will come back, the creation will be okay, but not before. Right. And for me, it's amazing uh, today with all the internet uh, and the ability to share images, even 3D uh, animation uh, through internet. Because at that time, <laughs> I used to make some uh, uh, bespoke uh, creation for Japan. I have to send them by FedEx, then to wait about three to four days, <laughs> then to have a telex answer. What's a telex? Many people will ask you. <laughs> it's you like, like a fax, it. but different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have some comments and then back some correction. So today it's instant. But uh, in fact, uh, I'll give you some hint. I'm, 
I'm creating very fast. Why? Because if I have the story, the creation will follow very quickly. And then my wife said, wait, wait, wait. And sometimes, no, always she's right because it takes time to mature. So by waiting, does she, do you, well, a couple of things. One is, do you work on several ideas at once? And then do you work on those ideas? And then you, you leave one and you come back to it a week or two later and you say, oh, I can't believe I didn't do this or didn't do that. Is that sort of how it works for you? Or? It's, it's one of my major problems because in my uh, field, uh, people uh, who are commissioned me are expecting many different versions, different drawings. I'm sorry, I'm doing only one <laughs> because I'm sure about the choice I've made. Right. So if I would say now you could, it's a sort of uh, uh, combination of uh, knowledge about the market, knowledge about the people, experience, and when I have the brief of uh, any customers, very quickly have the idea. Don't ask me why. And the, the, the problem sometimes the the, uh, the contract is all, is not even signed, but the creation is already done. But I have to wait. You see, one of the most famous uh, American designer Raymond Louis used to uh, was a very talented teacher to in uh, industrial design, and he. He loved to tell the story when he was uh, the, the, he was a junior designer on a very big firm. His first clients uh, gave him a brief, and on the way back to the company, he had an idea. So two days after, he called the, the would be customer. He said, "May I come back to show you a, an idea, a project already?" <laughs> so. He took an appointment, he, he, he showed his idea, it was uh, well-received and, uh, and accepted. But when the firm sent the, the bill, the invoice, what, for two days? Crazy. <laughs> so Raymond Louis used to say to his pupils, even if you have the idea very quickly, wait at least two to three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you were your invoice. <laughs> so, so I, I, uh, that's an amazing story. So hang on. I, I, sorry, I interrupted you. You were about to talk about 1987. You're at uh, Basel uh, Watch Fair. <clears throat> and you were, gonna, I, you were about to tell some story and I interrupted you because I was, we were talking about... Uh, for, for a new generation, they have to understand that at that period of time in the watchmaking... Uh, if you want to be successful, you have to find reliable distributors because at that time, nobody was working direct. And uh, on early 80s, what was a time where we didn't need any more license. It was worse before. So I was, I had a little collection of uh, three to five watches. I have asked to uh, rent booth at the Basel Fair and they found a place at the last floor uh, in between uh, Chinese-made packaging companies and also, thanks 
to them by chance, AHCI, Academy Horlogère des Créateurs Indépendants. It was uh, the stronghold, the, the last village of two <laughs> watchmakers at that time. That's very Asterix. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, uh, <laughs> your French, you know. Yeah, it was uh, like the Asterix village uh, where uh, they had the magic potion. I would say uh, it was the passion for mechanical uh, watchmaking and a chance of the very first year to meet uh, Georges Daniels, Blessed Mary, and also Sven Andersen, Calabrese, Frank Muller. And we were, they were completely uh, astonished to see me. Uh, introducing a value movement with uh, my crazy style. And uh, thanks to them, I discover what are the possibilities with watchmaking. It's, uh, I, I fell in love with these uh, first acquaintance. And can, I, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yes. When, when you went to this watch fair in 87, I know you, you, you had been an architect, then you made some watches. Now, <laughs> the, did you make them for friends? Is that what happened? You made a few watches for friends, and then suddenly you thought, "I'm just curious about this, this, in, this, the, the, the ancient no. <laughs> history of Alain Silberstein. Like, how did that happen?" So, so, okay, okay, I will give you some hints about the prehistoric. <laughs> give me the prehistoric history. Yes, uh, everything starts on the early eighties when a Swatch was launched. S since I was uh, living in France, I said, "We are not stupid." Uh, I am able to design uh, uh, fashion watches with, uh, my idea was to create watches with little uh, humoristic message or crazy watches. That's a, uh, a collection of the Swatch uh, style produced in France. So I designed uh, a collection. It was so well uh, received by uh, the French uh, uh, by the French government, because it, it was a sort of challenge of a new style design in France. And uh, three months after I was exhibiting uh, on, in Chicago, it was called, uh, it was a French, uh, made in French, uh, it was called At Home with France. It was French uh, producer of crazy watching. And after I, I went back, uh, and it was like a violon d'ingre. It was sort of a second reactivity. It was fun for me. But you, knew, but you knew nothing about, you had no... Nothing, you, you nothing, nothing you, at all. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that knowing nothing was your greatest strength? No, I was fond of watches for years. Uh, uh, no, let's say I was wearing the Nautic Ski from uh, Leap. <laughs> of course. Designed by uh, Talon. Yeah. And uh, uh, I didn't understand why... Uh, all these uh, modern style design, uh, which was the the last, uh, I would say, card from Leap Manufacture. Uh, you see, my uh, yellow second end is an homage to Mr. Talon, <laughs> uh, which is the yellow second end with a large head, which is on the Mac 2000. Yeah. Watch from. Uh, I'm a huge. Roger. I'm a huge Leap fan, by the way, and Roger Talon, so, of course. So, uh, uh, while wearing a Roger Talon, I said, "Why not to make a, a two days watch?" It was in '82, '83, uh, and no French manufacturer or uh, manufacturer wanted to do it. 
Non. For them, it was crazy to not. So, uh, what, sorry, wanted to do what? Wanted to do what? Wanted to create your designs? Yeah, no, but I, I was a designer. I was an architect by profession, and I, 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 I was just looking to a company who will produce and commercialize my design. Right. No way. So at, at the end, I found a, a, a company in furniture in my region, uh, which had. Um, a company in Hong Kong. So I started to, uh, uh, to be involved in watchmaking with a specialist in $5 watch. Oh, and I this, tell you, this is a fascinating, I read a quote from you, Alan, that I just thought was the best quote. And where is it? Let me see if I, you said the best school for learning luxury watchmaking was to be told by a Chinese watchmaker how to make a $6 watch. <laughs> yes. So uh, I want I want to know I want to know what that that's such an amazing quote. What does that but, mean? But this is, this is true because I did, first I discover the how to produce watches, and also I discover that some French uh, quote professional gave me uh, wrong indications. So it opened my mind to the uh, this uh, worldwide. Uh, the, the world of watchmaking, which is uh, international. And back uh, to France, one day, the, the agent of ETAB movement asked for an appointment to convince me to switch from Miyota Quartz movement in Hong Kong to uh, ETAB movements Far East, because we were so successful we, we, we sold hundreds, thousands of pieces. But uh, I was just commissioning on it. And the, the agent came in my uh, studio. He, he introduced uh, the movement, okay. And uh, he had big book, good, uh, like a telephone book. I said, what is it? Uh, you are designing so crazy watch. Uh, and we just bought a manufacturer in Valeju and called Valeju. We have tons of movements, chronograph movements. Maybe you could do something with that. So I, I took the phone book, I would say, <laughs> and I discovered uh, the Valeju movements, chronograph. And so the year after, six months after, uh, in 87, so I introduced my first chrono Bauhaus, uh, chrono zero, then chrono one. But it's always, uh, so from the Chinese-made watches, I moved to <laughs> chronograph, Valju chronograph watches. But each time it's a uh, meeting with people. It's, is it uh, faith? Faith? Is it destiny? I don't know. But uh, it's, I had so uh, maybe I had uh, so, some uh, hidden path in uh, watchmaking creativity and a certain step, li little stone, you see. Of course. Uh, can I ask, uh, can eliminate I, my journey. Can I ask you? I'm going to ask you a, a bit of a philosophical question. Um, <laughs> I think I think you probably enjoy philosophical questions. Yes, c'est <laughs> 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 très français. <laughs> um, we're in this peculiar period now where uh, we don't need a watch because we have the phone. 
everyone has. And so in a way, the watch has been relieved of this burden to be this important thing that tells us the time, even though, do you think that that has changed in some weird, unforeseen way, how you design a watch? Because there's this, there's no pressure for it to do what it's supposed to do anymore. Or is that a ridiculous question? Not at all, but I have to, to dive deep in the philosophy now with you. <laughs> I, I, well, look, I'm happy to hear. I'm happy no, to very, very simple. Uh, and I never change my way of uh, working. I would say that from all product design, watches are the lonely, which measures something very intimate and personal. It's your own time. So it's not a timekeeper watch. It's something which measures your own personal time. And I I used to say that when you're talking about time, the way we are telling the time, it's like filters. You never say it's uh, for uh, uh, 10 minutes and uh, 27 seconds. Why we never mention the seconds? Because it's over. The time to say it, it's already... Past. Right. Second, in all language languages, the way to express time is approximate. It's a sort of approximation. It's almost ten. It's uh, uh, twenty, almost half. We 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 don't want to. We don't want. We want to master our our time, and the way to master our time is to tell it on the wrong way. We are not. Telling what we are reading. Never. So why don't you design a watch that tells approximate time? Because this is the witness of your time. I'll give you an example. In many cultures, from uh, Europe to America or Japan, when a, a boy or girl is reaching his adulthood, there is a nice and general tradition to offer, the father sometimes, offer, offer, will offer a watch. What does it mean? When you're a, a child, you are living under the time zone of your parents. Right. Sure. So you could wear whatever you want. But what what means to be an adult? That means now I agree. Uh, you, the you, parents say, okay, now you'll, uh, you live your, under your own time zone. Right. So the best I could do is to offer you the first. I would say timekeeper of your time zone, and it and this is why when uh, I'm talking about telling stories about watches, it's because it's intergenerational, and everybody used to have memories about his first watch. It's like like first love sometimes, and I'm always. Amazed because now I'm reaching the third generation of customers or uh, friends in watchmaking. And uh, to receive a, a nice, uh, gentle uh, email uh, stating I receive uh, from uh, my father, grandfather, retage one of your watch, how to be serviced. The watch, mechanical watches will last. And related to what you mentioned about uh, digital 
product which tell times, iPhone or whatever, a computer, watches will remain, remain as a sole timekeeper which will last in memories of families. After, it's a question of each person may have over-relationship with this passing of time. But for me, I'm happy to be able to offer to my granddaughters for their bar mitzvah a watch. It's a, for me, I did my, my job, both as a grandfather and a watch maker or watchmaking designer. Now, I, uh, this is true for me, the relation to, uh, to the, the passing of time is something very serious. And uh, this is why uh, um, maybe I, uh, I'm very serious in my design for watchmaking because I know it will last. So it's not a question of fashion. I have these fashion watches. It's not a question of consumerism. I don't care about style marketing. You know, I, I'm trying to be as sincere as possible in my creation to give the best rendering what I in depth, I, I, I'm feeling about these uh, little witness of your time. Do you, it's such a it's a really beautiful thing when you talk about the idea of lasting. It, and you know what? Weirdly, it reminds me of Alain. <clears throat> Are you familiar with the Voyager spacecraft that they sent out in the 1970s into deep space? And on, do you know what I'm talking about? And the Voyager spacecraft have these messages. We've got, Record. Yeah, it had yeah, exactly. Record. A gold record and it had all these messages from humanity and, and pictographs and all this stuff. And in a way, what you're doing is you're creating these little Alain Silbersteins that you send out into the universe. And they will last, they will continue their voyage and last they will last beyond you and they will travel beyond where you would imagine they would go. So this and they're these little bits of you that you send out into the universe because they are they are your language, your ideas, your thoughts in a in a dial design. So there's something kind of beautiful and, about that. And this is why uh, I have to be a very uh, serious about quality. Yeah. Because if you are working on things which may last, you have to work on it. And one of my biggest challenges today is uh, I hope on a year to come to find a way to service my watch because uh, when I closed my company uh, was uh, 12 years ago, I sold all my spare parts to my service center worldwide. So in Japan, Singapore, America, still there, and also in Germany for Europe. And after 10 years, uh, some customers are requesting some spare parts. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, some uh, next last year, uh, I relaunched the production of uh, rubber straps for my Japanese uh, community because um, this is uh, something which uh, has to be uh, replaced after some years. And also, uh, maybe I would, but servicing watches, let's say for my spaceships to, <laughs> to <laughs> get your, uh, uh, I love that. Yes, this is like spaceship, but sometimes you, have, you need to refuel. <laughs> That's uh, right. You, you need to have some servicing, and I think the the future, and thanks to the 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 chance to of CPO certified pre-owned watches today. Yes, we have to take. I have to take care of my watches. I don't want that other people would take care. I hope to be able to 
to organize that. And for me, this is a way for to go uh, <laughs> uh, farther than uh, in the universe. Can, let me ask you yes. this, Anna. You had a, a period of great success in the, in the late 80s and the 90s. And then there was this period for a while, I suppose, um, of quietness for you. And a lot of artists go through that. A lot of artists, I've noticed, it's interesting that they will have... And and they will have these periods of success, and then they will kind of, they will almost vanish from the landscape, and then they suddenly emerge again. In and and it seems like from just from an outsider's perspective, suddenly you are doing these extraordinary collaborations, and your language is even more vital, even better. It's if, than it was, say, in the twenty years ago. And what what happened? What what was the, you know, recense, um uh, Bell and Ross, uh, Louis, I can't remember, I can't pronounce it. Uh, how do you say it? Uh, yeah, I mean, and they're we all, are. and they're so, I love the, I love the way these collaborations are making your, they seem to make your work better. I'm not sure, but what, what is it that, what was the, what was the change? What happened that suddenly made people see you again? Do you think? Uh, let's say, I went through very sad years on uh, 2008-10 until the closure of my company, which went on uh, chapter 11 in 2012, because they didn't find investor because I had everything except fuel, money. Right. Because for me, the future was to uh, invest in uh, bespoke movements. I was a little fed up just to... Uh, use a standard movement from the 50s and 60s with additional plates, a so-called exclusive complication. And uh, to close a company after 25 years, it's always uh, uh, difficult. I imagine. And uh, on, I had some uh, health uh, issues uh, because... Uh, my body uh, sent me the, vo the invoice after. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, I started collaboration uh, uh, prior to the closure of my company. It was in 2009 with uh, Maximilian Busser from MBNF. That's right, of course. Uh, at, who asked me to, to make a collaboration. At that time, uh, except... Uh, among singers, nobody was talking in watchmaking about collaboration. Right. And uh, I, I love uh, Max uh, was interviewed and uh, the title of his interview, I love, uh, I want to quote him, uh, collaboration is a question of humility and karma. <laughs> and I think I fully agree with you. It's a question of, uh, you couldn't, Imagine how rich is a collaboration with somebody you admire and uh, to, uh, to discover his way of working, uh, his team. It's, uh, MBNF, it was easy because it's Maximilian Busser and friends. Yep. And a chance to uh, become a friend of, of his uh, wonderful uh, family. And uh, things started like that. And uh, during, I uh, fully agree with you, during some years, I didn't do anything except designing many watches because each time I, I saw an amazing movement uh, coming in, I was 
redesigning the, the watch, the dial design, even Rolex or Patek, because they say, well, you see, the, they are spending a lot of money in movements, but sometimes the creation as far as dial design and casing is concerned, little weak, I would say. <laughs> That's very diplomatic. But, uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, by chance, uh, Manuel Hemsch, as he was at the time uh, CEO from uh, Romain Jérôme, he commissioned me for, uh, no, no, we did a collaboration with the commission. Uh, we did a collaboration with the subcraft and after I did for uh, Maximilien uh, again, it was fun. And step by step, and at the end, we, no, Manuel Hemsch again, in 2019, everything started again for me in 2019 with, with, when Manuel Emsch asked me as new CEO from uh, Luera to make a sort of commando-like campaign to, to, uh, to save uh, this uh, company uh, with a crazy design of my style, but just dial, dial hands because uh, they have no money to, to make a special uh, case. So we did it, and it was an amazing success. I love that and, watch, uh, that, that, and I actually, I think, and, I think and, everything about that watch that, that uh, I've been looking at all those ones. The, the case is, ex I think, the case is actually extraordinary. I love the, the the strap, which I feel that people never really pay attention to, is really cool. Your, it's a, such a successful see, design. You mentioned the second year because the the money they they earned with the first series. Yeah. Uh, gave them the ability to uh, give me a uh, white carte blanche. The monopoussoir. Okay. Ah ouais, monopoussoir. I and love we, that watch. But you see, when I was talking about, uh, you were referring to the straps. I said, I'm sorry, gentlemen. When I'm looking about the amazing creation, creativity in a strap design from Apple watches, we are far behind them. So let's do something easy because this strap I designed it in the 80s with my first watch, <laughs> the, the buckle system. Yeah. I say now we have new materials where you don't need Velcro and everything. Don't do it. But sometimes people, they don't understand. <laughs> and for me, a watch is always, is also a strap. So explain for me why I was talking about the weakest Oh, Alain, uh, listen, man, I, I am so happy you're talking about this because this is such a thing for me but, because, because people... But the strap, the strap is a key issue. It's a wristwatch. Yeah, yeah, but, but see, this makes me crazy because people, I see this all the time. I'm a huge fan. I'm a big collector of 70s Patek watches because I feel like in the 70s, they were considering the strap equally as important, if not more important sometimes than the dial and the case design itself. And they're extraordinary. I feel like people spend all this money now, all these independent watch brands have these crazy dials and cases. And then the strap is always, always an alligator strap black. And I don't understand that. Just to give you an example related to ergonomy, many people used to have need two sides because their wrist used to, depending on the health or uh, humid climate, uh, they used to have, to, they need flexibility. Yeah. They need, and actually it's not possible. It's like you have a, 
I don't know, uh, sort of, uh, uh, des menottes, how do you say in English? En français, c'est quoi en français? Des menottes. Des oh, menottes. handcuffs. Handcuffs. Yeah. I don't want to be handcuffs with an alligator and a, a normal buckle. So you are wearing to Patek. Uh, on the 70s, uh, even Rolex and other brands, they try to find a way to have half size or flexibility to, to give some uh, comfort in uh, wearability. And actually, I, tell you, I used to say that for me, too many people used to speak about the watch design and not the wearability. When you are doing a, a car test, you are talking about the, the comfort, <laughs> the chair, how, but very few are talking about the wearability, the comfort of the wearability and the readability. Two examples. I will always remember it was on the late 80s. IWC launched his engineer too. I look on the photos, uh, on magazine at that time, there was no internet. <laughs> and, uh, and I went to the IWC booth to, to test the the watch because I had the feeling that the, it was a steel uh, case and uh, uh, strap and when I put on I put on my wrist it was a masterpiece of wearability sometimes and when <laughs> this is uh, the, some months ago I was with my friend with, who introduced uh, us uh, from uh, Bulgaria. And ah, Fabrizio. Fabrizio. Yes. Uh, and the first thing we did, and I have a picture, he, he tried my watch and I tried his. <laughs> and the, the Ultra Flat Bulgari, Bulgari watch is amazing. A piece of wearability. Comfort and wearability is important. As equal as readability. I hate this uh, fashion to get rid of dial just to see some standard mechanical who cares about the, uh, it's it's like to, uh, to <laughs> it's so interesting you say that Adam, because it's so interesting because i find <laughs> we have because i feel i feel like in the con in, in in particularly in independent watchmaking everything seems to be three or four floating subdials exposed skeletonized <laughs> movement and it's all they all seem to look like that now and 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 i think they're kind well, of interesting well, but it's not not all uh, my friend Denis Flagelet know how to because some master watchmaker knows know how to make watches not all right i would say there's a difference between movement makers and watchmakers the ability to make a watch as a whole like francois peljon for instance or uh, denis flagelet but just to come back to this transparent style design uh, think about to purchase a, Ferra a transparent Ferrari, <laughs> just to highlight the engine. Nice, right? Look about the look about the the, the engine. Who yeah. cares? I, I used to say, I belong to the when I started to design uh, mechanical watches. I was inspired. One of my uh, master in wa mechanical watchmaker was Mister. Uh, uh, Rudiger Lang from Chrono Suisse. Uh, he was uh, 
the, the name was Chrono uh, Swiss, but the, his company was based in Munich, Germany. And he told me everything about the, the traditional watchmaking. And if I have to name somebody who really understood everything in the mid-80s, it was Mr. Lang. I'm not talking about Chronosis today. I'm talking about at that moment. And he, he told me, now you have to make transparent back. I, I said, why? Because the new generation, they don't know anything about mechanical watches. So you have to highlight. First, you are not using the coarse movement because there is nothing to show. And second, you have to work on decoration of finishing of the movement. At that time, we are very among the very few to, to have transparent back. And, and this, uh, uh, this is the way we have to work. And uh, as far as readability is concerned, this is what I, I, I told everybody, explain to me why stopwatch are the worst as far as the chronograph function readability is concerned. Why to have this little subdial instead to have the bigger diameter, which is the minute display? Only one movement did it, Agenor, with the Agenograph, where you could have our minutes and, of course, the free uh, 12-hour, 60-minute recorder and the second recorder on the, the bigger, the big diameter, which is the minute uh, display. Today, we are talking about Panda Watch. Who cares about to have a 10 millimeter diameter subdial to read the, <laughs> the second? This is a sports watch. Who cares? So and, what do you and, think? And, do you think that whole? I mean, the, the whole idea. Of, do you, what this makes me think. What do you think about complications? Like, for instance, chronographs. Like, does does anyone? If I have a bunch of chronograph watches, I've never used the chronograph watch for anything. Ninety-nine percent don't use the chronograph function, except to cook her eggs. <laughs> okay, so what would be? So let me ask you this: Then, what is a useful complication? <laughs> now, uh, I give you one useful. First, uh, to to have a true collector's chronograph should have the minute recorder in the center. Because it's a true professional or sports chronograph. Uh, somehow using no, the, but what, what, what would be a what would be a complication though for us as we? Because you talk a lot about how we live and the idea of this and this beautiful idea of the watch is is kind of recording our own time. So, what would be? Can you think of a chronograph? I will uh, give you all the, the inside. Let's say I will give you the brief of my future <laughs> movement. But there is something for me which is very useful. And I, I, I have been testing it in, in America years ago, and it was the people were amazing. It's just uh, a, a, a watch which uh, shines at the passing of the hour, like the quartz. You are in business meeting. You have discrete sound. Just remind you the the hour. So no other function. The watch tells you nothing other than when the hour has passed. I'm just. It, it would be interesting to me to think of a complication. I, I does... Two things. If I have to produce a movement, we have two complications. First, it will be a QP, 
a pepper soup cleanser, but only with the dates on its diet. Right. Because if you don't know in which month you are, <laughs> you've got bigger problems. Exactly. So I would say I want to have like a Rolex, uh, our angle, our minute, running second, which is a proof that the movement is working and you won't miss your train or your plane. And the date, because sometimes you need to know in which day you are, yes. <laughs> so, and this, I, I would love to have like a Rolex watch, but with a perpetual calendar. Plus, a shine or a strike at the passing of time. And this is it. We don't need more. Explain to me, uh, Repetition Minute was, was designed after the second, uh, First World War for... Uh, Unfortunately, blind people. Do you, uh, it's just a toy for men or women. Right. Because you have to, to do something to hear something. <laughs> I mean, look, I find conceptually the idea of thinking about what time means to us really, all these, uh, and then designing a watch around that. I had this, I had a terrible idea for, it would be a very depressing idea. It, it, sure, it would sure, be, sure. all right, ready? This is my idea for a while. I will give you this, Alain. I only require 5%, I, 5% of the profits is all I require. <laughs> but, but the uh, two, but, have, my, my idea, we have to talk first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, this, is, this is my idea, is you take the average lifespan of someone and the watch, all the watch does is count down that average lifespan. So it's just a, it's a, so it, as you look at the watch, it's just, it's counting down. So say, for instance, you have the average lifespan of a man, for instance, is 77 years. So you break that down into, say, minutes. And then it's a countdown of those minutes on your watch. That's all it does is just counts down the minutes towards your eventual <laughs> expiration. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Bastardo. <laughs> I did it, but I didn't commercialize it. I, I, I explained to you. In the Jewish tradition... I'm also Jewish, wish, by the way. We wish to... friends to live at Meavestream up to 120 years. So I say 120 is perfect because 60 uh, multiplied by 2, it's 120. That means 2, two circle of hands. So I, I did a watch, a QP, with a uh, additional uh, hand, uh, you just have to to set on your birthday dates, and every year it will jump from one year. <laughs> so it, uh, the watch is showing you the uh, because uh, uh, f my first idea was to make the countdown, but it is so uh, <laughs> uh, I, I felt more at ease to show that we have since uh, we right. are still. Uh, but I, and the reason why I, I, I didn't commercialize these watch, which is on my catalog, by the way, is I, I didn't feel comfortable to do something very intimate. I prefer to to give a tooling for measuring your time than to to be involved more intimately to your age, <laughs> your mortality. Your, exactly. Right. And I feel like I've taken up so much of your time, um, but I, I just want to say what a great honor and a joy it was to talk to you, man. And I'm so delighted and happy to be seeing all these extraordinary collaborations that you're doing. I'm, I'm so happy to see you in the light again. Um, and and I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. And, and it, honestly, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, 
it was really it was lovely and and we should we can yeah. talk later about my mortality our, our shared mortality no, no. <laughs> <laughs> <More> share. <laughs> anyway thank you again Alain it was a real delight and an honor uh, uh, merci infiniment merci à bientôt à bientôt <laughs>